coming up on today's show. We're back from NYC. Joe is a college football Hall of Famer, but got snubbed by the NFL Top 100. Up yours, Marion Motley and Herb Adderley. We debate snow football. It is always fun. Urban Meyer and his official visit to the Washington Redskins. He's back. And the New England Patriots as cheaters once again. Dog check, run pass option, selfish laterals, and cars that don't go in reverse. All this and much, much more coming up on another Golden Raspberry Award winning episode of The Tomahawk Show. I know it's only second, third quarter, whatever, but why do the Browns... Ah, forget it. I'm not leaving this message. Joe Hawk yourself. This is Dominic Fry from Finley, Ohio, and I hate myself. And when I say myself, I really mean I hate being a Cleveland fan. Joe Hawk me. Hey, this is Wesley from Youngstown, and here are five things that I'd rather do than watch the Browns. Number one, get a root canal. Number two, drink an entire gallon of lava. Number three, shower with a bear. Number four, get stuck under a flag with Brandon Whedon. And number five, and we cannot forget this, this part is very important, listen to a bedtime story read to you by Bill Belichick. Yes, it would be horrible, and I'd rather do that than listen to the Browns. Goodbye. I wonder how long he wrote that, because that was uh, <laughs> it had some some comedic genius to it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the award-winning Tomahawk Show. I'm your host Andrew Hawkins, joined here on a Sunday evening with my main man Joe Thomas, patching in all the way from sunny, beautiful uh, Wisconsin Beach. Joe, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. It was an eventful week for me personally, going into the College Football Hall of Fame, wrapping up the Thursday night wow. football season. Wow, that was a subtle name drop. And uh, I'm looking forward to the, the playoff stretch here for the NFL teams that uh, don't rhyme with crowns. <laughs> and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there's Really, this is a wide-open year. And as an NFL fan, that's pretty cool. You, you were, we're used to like Pittsburgh and New Orleans and New England being kind of shoe-ins and maybe the Packers, and and some of those teams still obviously have a chance, but for the most part, there's been a big turnover in the NFL power structure because of these aging quarterbacks right. are starting to hit their decline or actually out like Ben Roethlisberger. And so there's a chance that the Final Four in the NFL playoffs could look vastly different than we've seen in the past. And to me, that's really exciting. I love it. I think it's great that we're starting to get some of these young, exciting players like Lamar Jackson and uh, like Kyler Murray watching him today. That was that was fun, although not as fun when you're yeah. a Browns fan. Um, but it's cool. You know, I think change is great for the NFL. Tell me this. Well, let's kick back to the College Football Hall of Fame. How, how was that? Because I know we talked on the last episode. It was going to happen that night. Uh, I was in New York. I can tell you about my night. Wasn't as eventful um, mm. as going into the Hall of Fame, <laughs> but it was still a great night. But how, how was oh. the College Football Hall of Fame for you? It was really awesome. It was one of those things where when you're in the moment, you don't know how you're going to react because it's a combination of I can't believe this is actually happening. Right. And also reflecting back on how far you've come from that skinny little 18 year old from Brookfield, Wisconsin that <laughs> showed up on campus scared to death of everybody that was bigger <laughs> and stronger and faster than him. I mean, I got to sit next to uh, Jake, the snake plumber and Lorenzo white from Michigan state. Wow. It was just really cool. Kind of sharing uh, stories and breaking bread with those guys. And, and 
realizing that like, wow, we're all going in together because of our accomplishments. Um, and it was really special. Barry Alvarez, my coach was there. My parents were there. My wife was there. Um, there was a few times I had to wipe the tears from my you eyes. You had to hold them back? Listening. It's all right, had, man. had to hold them back. Special. And it was on TV. So I was like, all right, pull this together. Oh, you can do man. this. I wish you <laughs> Don't just, cry now. Can we make sure we cut that video so we can make fun of it? Um, Joe, tell me <laughs> this, man. Does, does, does what you've done in the NFL play into why they pick somebody for College Football Hall of Fame? Because I feel like every time they pick somebody, it's like, oh, yeah, they're also an incredible NFL player. I never really hear about yeah. the college guy who played four years, was all conference, all everything, and then goes into the College Football Hall of Fame because he didn't play in the pros. Well, I think part of the reason that the College Hall of Fame was so special to me is because it was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I didn't have a decent college career, um, but you only have four years in college to separate yourself from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And every year there's an Outland Trophy winner, and every year there's an All-American, and right. every year there's an All-Big Ten player. And so you can't really separate yourself with longevity and the number of accolades you rack up, rack up like you can in the NFL where, you know, when I finished my NFL career, I had 10 Pro Bowls and eight All-Pros or whatever it was, uh, and two one win in my last two years. Um, but I, I kind of know where my NFL resume stacks up against the other guys that are in the Hall of Fame and right. the guys that are right on the cusp. So you have a pretty good idea. Like, are you going to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame or are you not going to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Or are you going to have to wait or kind of right. where you are? Um, and with the College Hall of Fame, it's like, Everybody is a one or two time All American. Everybody's an Outland Trophy winner. And so, in order to separate yourself, you have to do it either on like the voters' memory of like, right. were you a good lineman? And they probably watched nothing but a yeah. couple highlights. Right. Like, uh, ooh, and so, you have to kind of go off of that play. Yeah. Like, you go off of so, so a little bit of name recognition. It's got to be. Yeah. I think so. What you did in the NFL has to have a huge impact on that because if you were a great college player and you go on and had a great NFL career, I think it's reasonable for the voters to think like, oh, he was probably a really, really good college player. He didn't just all of a sudden go and get great in the NFL. Um, But also, I got to give a lot of thanks to the people at Wisconsin because I know that you can't get into the College Football Hall of Fame unless your school and your coaches really push for you to be included. I I know that... um, there's lots of guys that are very deserving whose schools just don't push them out there. Don't put them out there. And, um, I don't know the voting process. I don't know how all that works, but I do know that, uh, if your fellow friends at Toledo would actually get their act together and start putting your name out there and getting you an opportunity, you'd, you'd be in there by now. Well, that's a good, that's a better thing to say when, um, you're visiting Wisconsin on one of your 14 trips of being into whatever ring of honor they're putting you in (laughs) and in front of the recruits, instead of dropping an F bomb, Maybe you should say something. Yeah, that might have been better. Like that. That <laughs> might help the program a little bit more. I looked up somebody because I was like, I got to stump this theory that Joe's talking about or the one that I just made up. And I looked up Charlie Ward and I'm like, it's Charlie Ward in the, pro, in the College Football Hall of Fame. Yeah. If he's not in there, then the whole thing is a sham. And he is. He got inducted in 2006. So there you I, go. I can officially tell you, congratulations. That was actually a real accomplishment. Until then, I wasn't sure. How many Heisman Trophy winners are not in the College Football Hall of Fame? Because you would think if you won the Heisman, you were the best player yeah, in it's like college automatic, football that year. Right? You should be in, right? Because I think they induct like 12 or 15 guys every year. So you would think yeah. every Heisman Trophy is a shoe-in. But I didn't win a Heisman, so I wasn't a shoe-in. Yeah, that's a good question. We'll have our research to get on it. Um, I think they said yeah. Lamar Jackson couldn't go in because they wanted him to go as a wide receiver. Um, and he didn't run the 40 at the combine. <laughs> All right, so congratulations, yes. Joe. That's yes. awesome. Um, there was a bit of bad news this week 
that I got today at the NFL Network. You officially did not make the 100 all-time team. Is that true? Ah, uh, yes. This is this is truth. This is bullshit. Yes, I saw that. So, well, thank you. I quit my job today at the NFL Network officially. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, walked out in the middle of set and was like, "Until they fix this, don't call me." And that was the end of it. So, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the whole process, and possibly I might go back and, and get my job back. There you go. Uh, well, there's there's definitely been a lot of anti-recency bias, if you've noticed, in the yeah. top 100 list. They've definitely tried to promote the uh, guys from w- way back before 18, face 21. masks. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess when you're comparing like who are the 100 greatest players, it has to be who was that much better than their peers. Because if you're going to say like, is Jonathan Ogden a better left tackle than some guy from the twenties? Well, the guy from the twenties was 185 pounds <laughs> and he blocked with his forearms and Jonathan Ogden was, was seven feet tall, five ninety. He was also blocking electricians. And right. And he could have been the greatest running back in history if he would have played in the 1920s. <laughs> and so it was more a matter of like remembering like how much better than their peers were they. I imagine that's kind of how they came up with the list and they tried to get a nice selection of players throughout history. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of like when, when they did the, running back draft I think or the running back top 100 I don't think LaDainian Tomlinson was on there and there was a number of other guys that I was like wow I'm kind of surprised they didn't make it um but there, there was definitely like anti-recency bias however that works where there's nostalgia that creeps in where guys that played a long longer time ago when you were younger and more impressionable uh definitely got uh some some boost and that's just me being sour grapes of course yeah obviously just to be just honestly just to be a finalist was really awesome and humbling because i remember watching walter jones and jonathan ogden when i was young and trying to emulate them and trying to learn stuff from them which didn't work because they were far far superior physical (laughs) specimens to me and i had to rely much more on technique and smarts because i was not seven feet tall 590 and i think Walter Jones at the combine was like six five three thirty and ran like a four six. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are not qualities that I had. So I had to do it the good old fashioned way. The good old fashioned with, way. Uh, Take fooling people work. with magic. Yes, magician status. Now that's cool, man. I mean, it just cements you as one of literally. Think about that, Joe. Yeah, man. You're literally one of the best football players of all time. Think about that. Like it's official. Just just being mentioned on that list, even though it's <sighs> as phony as the uh, NFL 100 players every year list, yeah, uh, is pretty awesome. I mean, that, that type of recognition, every single guy on that list is a Hall of Famer. And if you would have told me when I was a rookie that, hey, you're probably going to be a Hall of Famer, but you're not going to make the NFL top 100 all-time <laughs> list, I'd be like, I think I'll take that. I'm okay with that deal. You fall like in like you're like Ugh, you're only gonna be to like one one fifty six is your ranking of all time football players in the <laughs> history time. of football. So you know, sorry about that. Sorry about your loss, Joe. All right, well, listen. Yeah, if thanks. you want to interact with the show, hit us up on social media at Tomahawk Show on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. Join our Facebook group, Tomahawk. Leave us a voicemail at four four zero six two eight one three seven six. I think it's time to get into the actual episode. You guys ready? All right, let's drop some Tomahawk headlines. This is a special report from Tama Headlines. All right, what do we got here? Kyle Shanahan takes an L to Dan Quinn. Did Great. you watch that game, Joe? No, it actually was one of those that I didn't watch. Like I mentioned, I'm doing Texans Bucks on Saturday for caller. So I watched those two with the early game, and then I watched the the Brownies against the Cardinals for the second spot. So I missed 
most of the Atlanta versus San Francisco game. Um, yeah. Caught a few of the highlights because I do watch. When I was watching the Browns, I've got two TVs, so I was watching the Red Zone channel. So I got some of the highlights. Um, but I do remember before the game started, Kyle Shanahan had a great quote. The great coach that he is, he said, this is going to be Atlanta's Super Bowl when they come in here. And if we don't treat it like our Super Bowl, they're going to kick our butts. And, well, maybe they didn't treat it like their Super Bowl because they lost. <laughs> it's hard to convince me that the uh, Falcons playing in any kind of Super Bowl. Yeah, I wouldn't be motivated either. I was surprised, <laughs> though, man, because the, the, the 49ers have looked so dominant. Even when they played like last week, they didn't play well on defense, and they're known for how good their defense is this year. But even when they didn't play well and they still won the game, like, that was encouraging because the offense still looked good. Today, they just looked like a regular run-of-the-mill football team against a team that we were not lobbying, but we figured they would fire their coach weeks ago, right? Like, I don't think Dan Quinn makes it to next season. I could be wrong, and maybe this is the kind of game to, to save his job for another year to try to turn things around. But I was surprised that not only did they lost the game, like even throughout the entire game when it was a close game, I'm like, what the hell are the 49ers doing? And they were at home. All right, so the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan drink, take the L to his former team, the Falcons. He's not good in the revenge game. Uh, next, we got the Texans, and this is a good one because the Texans actually play the Bucks next week, and that's not the important part of this statement. The important part is that Joe Thomas will be making his debut in the booth <clears throat> for this game, a Saturday game on the NFL Network. Joe will be doing the color along with who, Joe? Who else are you in there with? So it's really cool. It'll be me and Nate Burleson, who I shared a cup of coffee with in Cleveland during, yeah. I think it was his last year in the NFL. And yep. who I love the guy. He's obviously, everybody knows he's doing an amazing job with CBS and NFL Network, uh, doing the good morning football and doing game day stuff. Um, and then Rich Eisen is doing the color, which would be cool. I'm, I'm cool with Rich. I've been on his show a bunch of times. And it's just really awesome and, and kind of humbling for me that, in my first full year on Thursday Night Football, they think enough of me to put me into one of their Saturday games, which um, there's only three Saturday games a year, and they kind of look to give an opportunity to people that they think could be good at it in the future, and they want to mm -hmm. see how they can do. And uh, so for me, it's really exciting because um, it's an opportunity to do something a little bit different. And I've always enjoyed sitting next to people and watching the game with him and try to kind of see the game through my lens, which I think is unique. And uh, if it was Hawk, it would give him an opportunity to have a great nap because I see yeah. things from like an offensive lineman's perspective. perspective. Yeah. But my goal is to, even though I will give them boring offensive line lens at the game, hopefully Nate will keep them awake. And then maybe there'll be some <laughs> funny banter between us because if I know one thing, it's uh, I know a lot about offensive line play, how to let people have a nap, but also how to make fun of people. So yeah, if good. I can uh, tease some of the people that I'm watching and some of the people I'm working with, hopefully that'll keep people interested and keep people listening to our broadcast because uh, it should be a lot of fun. Well, I'm not watching, so I won't Perfect. know. I'm sure Didn't somebody on Twitter would. will tell me uh, how it goes because yeah, I'm sure I have there'll be plenty anything else I'd rather do. Um, yeah. Joe, tell me this. Are you nervous, bro? Because I would be nervous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I did color for Broadcast Boot Camp. Oh, and, you know, at Broadcast Boot Camp, for anybody out there, what happens is there is a workshop for NFL players. Um, and you can sign up for it. You go to it. And it, it's essentially a breeding ground. Because, A, you can see if you actually like getting into sports media. You can see what you're good at, what you're interested in. But also, there's executives there who kind of also are there looking to see, okay, this guy could be talented. I can see this guy doing this. And there's a lot of opportunities that come from it. Me being the preparation freak that I am, mm. I'm not going to go there and say, oh, I want to see if I like this. No, you don't go to the combine and say, I want to <laughs> see if I'm a fan of the 40-yard dash. 
you go and prepare. <laughs> so I practiced for like three or four weeks leading up to it. And I had a guy out in New York, uh, like train me. We would do video sessions wow. and we would practice color. So I was doing like color of a game, mm. um, color commentary. And so when I got there, I was like, man, I sucked at it in practice, but maybe I'll do well in the broadcast boot camp. Even with all that preparation, all the other stuff I knocked out of the park, I did really well. And it's actually like a, a big part of why I'm here and doing the things I'm doing in media today. But the color part, I was effing terrible, Joe. It was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And in that moment, I said, I will never color commentate another football game for as long as I live. That's wow. how bad I was at it. So mm. I say all that to say it's very scary. And you're going to do it in front of the world. Are you nervous? Well, I wasn't nervous until you gave me that uh, roaring round of confidence <laughs> boosting right there. That was impressive. Uh, no, actually, when they first asked me, it's like your boss saying, hey, would you like a promotion? And I'm like, well, of course, but you're going to have to do something that you don't know anything about and you got to be really good at it. Otherwise, you're going to be humiliated in front of not only your peers, but all the fans all over the world. And so... I was like, yeah, I would love to do it because um, they asked me like about a month ago if I'd be interested. And they're like, okay, we're just still trying to figure out where we want to move everybody. Um, and then after I said yes, I got really nervous because I'm like, holy crap. I thought back to my Thursday night football audition that I did for the caller before they decided to do Joe Aikman and or Joe Buck and Troy Aikman um, with Fox. And I did horrible. And then I interviewed, auditioned for Monday Night Football with Joe Tessitore, and I did horrible. And they gave the job to Jason Witten and Booger. So I'm Which thinking. indicative of how well you did. Yeah, I'm thinking, guys, <laughs> let me tell you one thing. You must have been. Tom O'Flock out there. If you guys think that Jason Witten and Booger McFarlane <laughs> are impossible to listen to, I am even worse because Tune they in beat to the me Buccaneers out. versus the Texans this Saturday on the NFL they Network. They beat me out for the job twice. <laughs> <laughs> After Jason got fired, they gave it to Booger. So I'm <laughs> twice as bad as Jason Witten. So uh, after after I like kind of settled down and realized like, wow, this is not easy. Because I remember thinking going into the audition like, oh, this this can't be that bad, right? right? And then you just don't even know what you don't know when you're sitting up there in the booth <laughs> because you've got to be able to say something that was interesting and introspective in a 20 second window. And it has Oof. to be on point. And there's like a flow of the game that you need to be commenting on certain things and you need to play off your play-by-play -play guy. And it's it's really challenging. Um, it's easier for quarterbacks because they're used to kind of seeing the whole field. And that's uh, why you see so many quarterbacks in that position. Um, and so it's funny. Since I got the nod, I've been watching games with a different eyeball and trying to think of it from, all right, what cool. are the viewers at home wanting to hear? And what can I do to kind of explain maybe what happened and why it happened that they wouldn't automatically notice and have them at the end of each play go, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that that was why it happened, but it makes sense to me. But also try to mix in, you know, some humor and some joy because I like watching football games. Yeah, it's kind of fun. And and then uh, one other thing I've actually been doing, which is kind of funny, and maybe you can send send over Austin giving me a breakdown on uh, route concepts and coverages oh, because yeah. I always kind of knew the basics. But I wanted to dive into it a little bit more because I, I didn't live at all in my football life in the coverage world whatsoever. I was nope. strictly run game and blocking and blitzes and stuff. And I know that front, back, and sideways. But um, 
I've been watching YouTube videos on like coverages oh, and route concepts and like how you can you like Freddie Kitchen three boat. by one and two by two <laughs> and like how you pass off different route combinations with different coverages. So maybe Austin, you can send him to Wisconsin and he can quiz me on it someday. So uh, before Saturday, so I can make sure I feel really good about it. But um, on Thursday night, actually, to wrap a bow on the story, I was yeah. with Steve Smith and we story. were you know kind of going around and he was getting his kingly praises in baltimore because they still love uh, him for his time man. as a raven and uh, we went up into steve bishotti's box and said what's up and then we went to the radio studio because steve was going to go on the air for the third quarter and so i stood behind the radio and the play-by-play guy and i got to see how their booth is laid out with the rosters and the depth chart and all their uh, bo- storyboards that have little comments about each player and uh-huh. in my head, as I was listening to the play-by-play guy and as I was watching the game, I was trying to do a little trial run in my head about, okay, what would I say there? What would I say there? What would I say there? So after doing that, I actually feel pretty good about it. And I'm actually mm. really excited now to get Let's an opportunity go. to like share all the weirdness that's in my head to America. And uh, so I think- Are you going to drop the tomahawk catchphrase? That's the only thing I want to know. I'm going to absolutely try. If we get one voted on this week, I don't see a reason not to because if they fire no, me, it was only now. a one-time gig anyway. And so what does it really <laughs> matter? The contract's expiring regardless after this game. It's a one-game yeah. contract. No, that's cool, man. And the, and the, and the audition funny, stories are funny. I can imagine that when Booger decides he doesn't want to do it anymore, they're going to give the the job to um, Ed Orgeron before they give it to you. <laughs> yes. More reason to show why If you think Ed Orgeron's impossible job. to listen to, I'm twice as bad. <laughs> All right, so I think the point of that whole tee-up was that the Texans beat the Tennessee Titans. Oh, that's what Um, it was. (laughs) It's a race for the AFC South division. They were tied, and the Texans got the win. They play them again one more this season. Tannehill, who has been balling, he played okay. He he gave a couple away there, but the Texans played well down the stretch after uh, laying an egg last week for playing dress-up. In pregame, anything you care about there, Joe? You can tell me the truth. I'm your friend. Yeah, uh, I like Carlos Hyde, former Cleveland Brown. He had a yeah. great game. He got over a thousand yards for the first time in his career, and he had a hundred yard day. And it was really an efficient effort from Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson, which was good because he was pretty bad in the the game the week before. Um, and it was enough to win and to bounce back and give themselves an opportunity to win one of their last two to win the division, go to the playoffs. And I'm I'm a big Deshaun Watson fan. And so I'm kind of like secretly cheering for them a little bit. Yeah, um, I like their team. I would like them to finally be able to get over the hump. To me, Deshaun Watson and Tony Romo are totally different. But as far as how many times um, Deshaun Watson goes to the playoffs and doesn't make a run, it starts yeah. becoming harder and harder. You know that that like when Philip Rivers. the Bengals, yep, Phil Rivers, like the Bengals, right? They always yeah. made the playoffs and then they lost. And it seemed like the pressure builds every time you go to the playoffs and you don't advance. Yep. And it, then it just becomes harder and harder. And then all of a sudden it just becomes this like invisible barrier that you can't get through. So uh, I would love to see the Texans make a nice run this year. Although I don't know if their defense is good enough. And their bar is set a little higher because the Texans have won playoff games in recent history in the first round. Like they've, they've won numerous times in the first round over the last, what, six or seven or eight years, whatever that is. So yeah, for Deshaun Watson, if you're the guy that we think you are, we expect you to take us even further than we've been prior to you coming here. Today's show is sponsored by The Athletic. 
a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. Through in-depth coverage from local writers on every team, plus national writers you already know like Jay Glazer, Mike Sando, and Mike Lombardi. The Athletic is setting a new standard for sports news. There are no ads, pop-ups, or clickbait. Just great sports writing that tells the story behind the story. Get exclusive player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, and fantasy sports insights that you won't find anywhere else. We know you can get a lot of sports content for free, but The Athletic is worth the money. Each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, live writer Q&As, podcasts, and more. Just download The Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and The Athletic will bring you all the latest storylines and the players that matter to you. Let's face it, you're probably already spending a ton of money on other people for the holidays. So why not get something for yourself? Ready to get started? We'll get 40% off a yearly subscription to The Athletic if you go to theathletic.com slash tomahawk. Theathletic.com slash tomahawk. All right, so I think it's time for Am I Trippin'? Trippin'. This segment is brought to you by Quaaludes. <laughs> the Chiefs dominated the Broncos in Arrowhead in a vintage December snow game. I'm sure you guys had mixed feelings as players, but from the couch, snow football is as good as it gets. Am I tripping, or is snow football simply the best? Oh, goodness gracious. Let me be the first to tell you, John. Snow football is the effing worst. <laughs> I'm trying to stop cussing, if you can tell, but I hate snow football. I, every year, and you know, I don't, I don't miss playing football. You know, I got more than my my feel and fair share of playing the game of football, um, and I do love watching it. But every December is the time of year where I think to myself, thank God I'm not in the NFL. Every time when I see those snow games specifically, because that looks miserable. If it's snowing and I'm on the team, you are better off leaving me in the locker room. Like, put my helmet on or um, a water cooler. I don't care what you do with it. Leave it in the laundry bat. I don't <laughs> care because I, I am no good to you in the snow. I hate it. I don't think it's fun. It doesn't look exciting. I don't. I actually turn my television. I won't watch a snow game. So it's it's funny. I was Jeez. actually watching NFL Network today when the they were showing highlights from that game, and everybody else on the set was so happy, and Hawk was just miserable. <laughs> was like, he was like, "Turn this shit like, off. If you don't change, I'm quitting this job." <laughs> that was right before they said Joe didn't make the all time team, and I was about to quit. Then them telling me Joe wasn't on the all time team just sent me over the top. I walked off set. You're the only person in America that doesn't love snow football because oh my gosh. here's the thing. In December, if it's snowing, you know it's probably not that cold, actually. Because in order for it to snow, it has to be kind of in the, like, 20s, maybe in the teens at, at the worst. But the really cold games <laughs> That's are, not like, cold the bright, you? sunny games that there's, like, a 30-mile-an-hour wind, and it's, like, 20 below. Those are the miserable oh. games because then the field freezes, your toes freeze, even the heaters on the sidelines don't work. But the snow games are fun because you're just sliding all over the field. There's no accountability to doing your mm. job because if you screw up, you just say, oh, I slipped. Look at all the snow. Come on, coach. Give me give yeah. me a break. 34 uh, degrees. That's my yeah, so, that's my breaking point. 34. Yeah. Anything under 34 degrees, you might as well leave me in the locker room. Anything over 34 degrees, I'm good. And that act that number actually came down for in 2014. We played the Texans, and I think it was 36 degrees. Prior to that, it was 41 degrees. And I'm like, anything below 41 degrees, and I'm neutralized. And I actually played well that game, so it was out of my head. So anything 34 was my degree that anything under there is considered cold, and I'd rather not be there. 
there was only one game in my career where I was just totally miserable out of cold, and it was actually my second year in the NFL. We were playing the Bengals. Mm. We lost the game, I believe, 7-0. It was when Carson Palmer was still there, and it was right around zero, and the wind chill was right around like minus 15 or something. Um, It was towards the end of the season, as you'd expect, and we stunk and the Bengals, I don't even remember if they were any good, but it was the only game I'd ever played in where even the heated field froze because of how cold it was. They couldn't get it warm enough, and so everybody had to basically switch to, like, turf shoes because the the cleats would just slide. Um, that was miserable. That was so cold that I got I actually got sick from the game because of how cold your body temperature was, and I felt bad because it was right around Christmas and my father-in-law was there for Christmas, and we gave him a new, like, Browns hoodie for Christmas. And he thought, well, you know, what do you have to do to be polite? If you get a Christmas gift, you got to wear it to the game. So oh he wears gosh. this, he wears this hoodie idea. to the game. And he had, like, long johns underneath, but that was not nearly enough. And so <laughs> he said he spent the entire game in the men's bathroom just trying yeah. to stay warm. We haven't seen him since he died from hypothermia. <laughs> yeah, uh. R.I.P. <laughs> um, remember the Buffalo game? Buffalo game in 2016 was cold as hell. It was like three degrees. Um, see, the only game in my career where I distinctly remember it being cold was that game against the Bengals in 2008. And there was a great snow game that we played in in 2007 against the Buffalo Bills where we got seven inches of snow Ugh, between no. warm-ups and like halftime. And yeah. so it was snowing so hard in the first half that we couldn't watch the film. Because from where the cameras were, it was a whiteout from there to the field. So we didn't see the field. And when you were on the sideline, you couldn't see the other team on the other side. And it was one of those slugfests. It was like two field goals and a safety. We won 8-0. And we had like three or four completed passes. So you would have loved it. And we had like 150 yards rushing. And we won. It was amazing. That makes me sick. What was the the temperature that day? It felt like six. It's not too bad. it? It was like 30 or... 27 you know it doesn't when it's really snowing it's not that cold because you need it can't be that cold because of the moisture in the air you need enough moisture in the air to have precipitation and when the dew points that low you just it can't hold moisture and there's your nerdy meteorologist talk for the week yeah td that that (laughs) uh, part of the podcast is sponsored by tunde uh saint matthew daniel (laughs) who loves the weather talk all right what we got next john since we absolutely belabored that one the Patriots won convincingly over Cincinnati, but all anybody wanted to talk about was a producer affiliated with New England taping the Bengals sideline. The producer was working on a docuseries. He isn't affiliated with the coaching staff at all. And let's be honest, the Patriots don't need any help beating the Bengals. Am I tripping? Or did the Patriots actually not do anything wrong this time? Joe? I can't believe that the Patriots would be this stupid to actually <laughs> video the Bengals sideline from the booth by a guy that's wearing Patriots gear. Like, obviously, when you're trying to cheat, which the Patriots have cheated plenty of times in their history, they do it secretly, like CIA, underground. But if you're going to go and, like, assassinate somebody, if you're the CIA overseas, you're going to do it, like, secretly so you don't get caught. Uh, And you're going to do it against people that you want to kill. And you need to assassinate. The Bengals are already dead. They don't need to assassinate (laughs) the Bengals. The Bengals are beyond life support right now. And so I just don't believe that they actually we're doing anything nefarious now clearly it looks like it and i think there was a report that said there was eight minutes or something of filming of the bengal sidelines which 
obviously they could use that and they could have a, a big advantage by stealing the defensive calls um, if there was t- some type of signals that were being made between the defenders. But some some of like the signal stealing is uh, passe because back when the Patriots were doing this 10, 15 years ago, the 10, defensive ago. players, the, yeah, the defensive <laughs> captains weren't wearing headsets like quarterbacks were. And so in order to get the defensive call to the defensive player on the field, you actually had a defensive coordinator who would be signaling the play calls to the guys on defense. But now there's a player on defense, just like the quarterback that's got a green dot that gets the call right into his radio. And then he tells the linebackers in the defensive line, and then he might signal coverage or a blitz to the, the the secondary, or you might just tell them if it's not too loud. So there's not as much of an advantage of having those defensive signals as there used to be. And so all those things together makes me think that they weren't doing anything on purpose to like try to gain some type of competitive advantage. And just because they were filming the sideline for eight minutes doesn't really tell me anything because as you know, when you're doing, let's say a 60 minute documentary or even like a 30 minute or a 22 minute TV show, you're going to film 24 plus hours of video and you're going to cut it down because you need so, B roll and you need all sorts of primary uh, a roll and you need you all these things naive. and you're going to end up cutting it down into something that's short. And so just because they had eight minutes of film on the no, sideline no, doesn't really no. say anything to me. They were definitely doing it. And here's why the easiest way to hide is in plain sight. Right. You want to act like you're oblivious. It gives you a built in excuse. Like if you get caught, first off, everyone's going to think, oh, they can't be dumb enough to film the sidelines in a Patriot shirt and then telling everybody he works for Mr. Kraft. Like what? That would be so dumb. It would be so dumb that it's genius that if you get caught, they can have a built in excuse like, oh, clearly we weren't cheating. I'm wearing a Patriot shirt and I work for Mr. Kraft and I'm a third party vendor and I don't know what's going on. You just play dumb and you just die with the lie. So it's actually perfect. They've probably done that in 10 stadiums, and everyone's like, yeah, they wouldn't be that dumb. Yeah, don't worry about it. Film our signals. We don't care. Good luck on your documentary on your advanced scout that I'm sure everybody's clamoring to see. That's all, that's all anybody asks for is documentaries on advanced scouting. You know advanced scouting is probably the least most interesting thing in the history of football. I'm just being honest. It's, it's, it's very boring. Like that, that eight minutes. Well, you worked in the Detroit Lions scouting yeah. department, so you would know all about that. I I'm, know nothing about scouting. I'm telling I've never you, have worked in any of that world. That eight minutes of footage is the documentary. That's <laughs> that's the documentary on advanced scouting. So what is a, a so what does an advanced scout do? I have no idea. I mean, they literally just go out and watch the teams before, like weeks before the team plays them, just to give a, a head start to the coaching staff and the information. So maybe you can explain this to me because I didn't even understand that this happened. What is that going to give this team, the Patriots, that watching the game film, listening to the microphones on the sideline that are played during the game, watching the all 22, watching the end zone Mm -hmm. copy, what is that going to give you that you wouldn't get 10 times as good from having actual film in good angles and actual microphones on the field. Because when this guy's up in the booth or in the stands, the reason I don't go to a ton of games is because you can't really see what's going on. You're too fucking far away. Well, here's what it is. So, I mean, for an advanced scout, like, yeah, it's it's not that much. If you have the footage of the film of the the signals, you don't know what play it is that's going to get you over the hump. And the Patriots practice situational football. So even in the spring – they're not going through the plays like everybody else. There's whole um, periods of practice that are devoted literally just to the situations of football that they've 
historically been so good in, they've had the upper edge on everybody else because that's all they prepare for. So if you watch eight minutes of someone doing signals and they get one play out of it to say, hey, I know for sure when they give this signal and they usually give it the earliest, it is cover four and this is the blitz. And here is the answer to that one play. That one play for the Patriots, more times than not, may decide a game. It well, that was always touchdown. the speculation. It might be a 40-yard right? play. Like, that's how they do it. That was always the speculation when Tom Brady was younger in his career. And everybody that played in the NFL back then heard about it was the reason Brady was so good, and you'd watch it on film, is because they would they knew the signal from the defensive coordinator. And when they would call on the play, they would also tell Brady what like the coverage or the blitz was. Or they wouldn't say that. They would just say, throw to number one. Or like yep. throw throw to the third option because they knew the pressure that was coming and they knew the coverage and they knew where the ball was supposed to go. So Brady would be back there and he'd turn his head to the right and all of a sudden he'd throw a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hook shot to number four <laughs> to the on the side. other side of the field that's wide open <laughs> that he's never looked over there one time. And so the guys that played during that Spygate era, which was even before I got into the NFL – um, said that Brady was magical because he wouldn't even look at receivers and he'd just be chucking the ball over the place and they wouldn't show blitzes at all, but he know, knew what was coming. And of course, the Patriots are going to say, well, that's because we were really good and we studied film and blah, blah, blah. And you all the haters film, right. are going to say, well, they stole the signals, so they knew exactly what was coming. But situational football and practicing that is not unique to the Patriots, I will say that. The reason they're the best at it is because the coaching staff has been the same for two decades and they've been able to coach and teach all the fundamentals and they can spend more time on the situational stuff that rarely ever comes up. But when it does come up, it means the difference of winning and losing. But like, let's say Matt Patricia, who's having a terrible season in Detroit Is and he? he's struggling. Yeah, they're, they're horrible again. <laughs> and the reason even though he's doing everything that Bill Belichick did is you're teaching all these guys something that takes seven years to teach, right? Or let's say three years. Let's say it's a doctorate program of getting up to speed in the NFL. You're trying to teach them all the basic stuff first before you start spending most of your practice time worried about situational football. And you just don't have that luxury when you're constantly changing coaches. Do you guys think there's cheating that goes on in the NFL? Are the Patriots the only team that cheat? No. What, the Patriots what does cheating the mean? With, yeah, I mean, everybody cheats. I, I had one coach. I'll say this. What does I had cheating one coach. even mean, though? Ch cheating means doing something outside of the rules i mean that's it's a very clear definition well, of what cheating is well like, like sign stealing holding for example. Is, is holding cheating like i held a lot like systematic career. like what the houston astros are being accused of in baseball like systematic, systematic cheating. cheating i think that in the nfl they would try to do as much as they could get away with and a lot of times that was you know trying to steal signals and trying to um you know get their hands on scripts and stuff like that when they could but they, I don't cheating. think the line was crossed as often where they were like CIA raids where they were going in and stealing scripts <laughs> and playbooks <laughs> and trying to secretly film practices. But I will say uh, when I was at Wisconsin, my offensive line coach when I was there said that when he was a grad assistant like in the 70s, I think it was with Temple or something, they were going to play their bowl game. And back in those days um, they used to have the walkthrough on Friday and the game on Saturday, right? And the away team would always come in on Friday and then they would do their walkthrough in the home team stadium, right? And they would always yeah. run their first 15 scripted plays, <laughs> which, you know, they hope, I guess, nobody was watching. But I guess when he was a GA, he was sent with a uh, baby stroller and they had it covered up. And he was sent to like walk 
around the stadium and just yep. act like he was like a lost fan and try to watch the first 15 scripted plays of the away team that was there that day and try to see if there was any plays that were out of the ordinary, like any trick plays or anything where they'd be able to say, all right, the fourth play of the game, they're going to try a reverse. And so we're going to bring a double corner cat or something like that to really be able to <laughs> blow it up. Uh, but he said he got, he got caught right away. So that didn't work <laughs> out so well, but I, I think, so he's in honestly, jail, I think too. that type of stuff, like peripheral cheating used to happen a lot more but then after the patriots got caught with the spygate stuff i honestly think that a lot of that kind of got cut out and yeah it doesn't happen as much anymore i can tell by the investigation into the patriots for cheating from a couple of days ago it's really been nipped in the bud um no, <laughs> <laughs> i will say uh for there was a former team that i played for that the coach would have access to the TV copies of games and not just like the TV copies that you're watching on TV, like the on-field camera angles, like, you know, when a tackle gets a holding and then they do the uh -huh. ISO uh, camera with just the left tackle and the DN and you could hear it clear as day. So he had access to all those games and they would typically have all the calls, all the audibles because you could hear the quarterback and everything they're saying mm -hmm. going yeah. into the game. So he knew you know, what the audibles were, when you hear this, this is what's happening, when the quarterback says this, this is what he's going to. Um, and the Ravens, I'm not accusing them of cheating, but what I will say is when I played the Ravens, they always knew our signals and what plays they were doing. Yeah. So, like, Ed Reed, we line up, it'd be two-minute, and, you know, Andy would give us a signal when I was in Cincinnati, and we'd line up for it, and Ed would go to, like, one side and just completely bait it and then just <laughs> jump right to where the ball was going. Pick. <laughs> Just like like he knew every play. And he would tell the corner, like, hey, he's doing it in. He's doing it out. He's going to come down and sit over the ball. And we'd be like in our stance, like, oh, shit. That's, that's <laughs> Did a, I just want to go? Like, uh, that was a really good how, guess. How this right? Hey, he knows the play, Andy. Don't throw it over here. <laughs> but that's not cheating to me. That's just good advanced scouting. Like, yeah, I, guess I will it, say. Which is the documentary. <laughs> yeah, this this legitimate. You the Ravens, is it so. advanced scouting or cheating? Find out next on 60 Minutes. <laughs> That's the name. Of, they didn't tell you what the name of the documentary series <laughs> right. was going to be. Are we over the line? Are we breaking NFL rules? You be the judge. No, what but would um, you do. I would say, I don't know, maybe my third or fourth year, maybe around 2010, is when they started making the center and the guards and the quarterbacks wear microphones. Mm -hmm. So instead of trying to get the sound from the sidelines, you were actually hearing the sound from the center and the quarterback, and that really enhanced the broadcast. Well, of course, the good defensive players that had a lot more free time on their hands, and I say free time in a glowing respect because these were guys that had been in the league a long time. So when they're watching film, they're watching for the tiny little details, the stuff like I was talking about with the Patriots that happen infrequently. That You can spend your time on that because you got all the basics down pat. You're not watching film and learning how to step when it's power to the right or power to the left. Like, you know all that stuff already, whereas the third, fourth, fifth-year guy is still trying to learn that stuff. Like, I could sit back in the meeting and do a crossword all day and still have all the game plan down pat and not make any mistakes right. because I'd done it a million times. You know, you had uh, 10,000 straight plays. I know what the hell's going on. I don't need to watch as much film. Or if I do spend that time watching the film, I can watch and spend the time on this little stuff. And so when we'd play the Ravens specifically, right after this microphone stuff came out, um, they started listening to the TV broadcasts and they could hear all of our line calls. They could hear all of our audibles and our checks. And so then they knew, you know, kind of what was going on. They were always right. Um, but once we realized that was happening, then we could use that to our advantage because we could go up there and in the huddle, we'd call one thing 
And then we go up to the line of scrimmage and we bait him by making a fake audible or a fake line call that would get him to check into something that we knew we could take advantage of. And right. so a lot of times we were doing that, especially when Kyle Shanahan was there, we would give him run calls on the play action stuff, which would really suck those linebackers up, which would really create that second level, second and third level separation between linebackers and safeties because we knew we went up to the line of scrimmage, we gave him a line call. Uh, for a run and the quarterback would check to a, a fake run that those guys were going to be screaming in the line of scrimmage and the run fake was going to be 10 times as good. And so um, that was one thing I do remember too, where the quarterbacks had to start changing their audibles from week to week and their signals because the defenders were stealing a lot of their, like uh, their checks at the line of scrimmage. I heard a rumor once complete conspiracy theory that some NFL teams bug their visiting locker room. Do you guys believe this rumor, and is there any advantage to be gained there? I think they bugged their home locker room too, so I, I wouldn't be surprised. Me, we, I mean, we talked about that in the last episode. We, yeah, there's been coaches that we know have put cameras and microphones in places, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if teams also did it with I, the I th- team they're playing against. We always heard that the Patriots did that, and I know maybe this was just like fear mongering in the NFL, but. Our coaches, when we would go there, especially former Patriot coaches, so maybe that tells you something, we had to learn would always be like <laughs> super, super concerned when we were in the locker room. Like they wouldn't talk about the script out loud. They would make sure they weren't giving us the script on a piece of paper that week. Like as soon as we got to the locker room and we were done with our playbook, they would uh, – put it in a chest and they would lock it up <laughs> during the game. I mean, they went to like some real extreme lengths and that may have just been un- unwarranted fears, but it definitely had us thinking about it. And how about this one, Hawk? I, I heard a specific story about a guy that went on a free agent visit. It wasn't with the Patriots. It was a different team though. Uh-huh. And he was on the visit. It was a good visit. And then he got back to the hotel room that the team had for him and he picked up the phone and this was before cell phones. And he was talking to his agent about the offer that they'd just given him. And he found out that the team had bugged the phone so that they knew how him and his agent were talking about the offer and if they liked it and what their bottom dollar was and stuff like that. Isn't that crazy? That is wild. I mean, that's like CIA stuff right there, but any advantage a team can get. Yeah. That can, I mean, you're talking about millions of dollars, and all you got to do is put a little listening device on the phone. Makes it easy. There's been places where I wouldn't talk on the phone in a room for certain teams that I played for for a short amount of time. But I thought maybe they checked me into a hotel room. I would go get my own just just in case. (laughs) Like, you know what? I'm going to switch floors if that's okay. If you could put me on the fourth floor, three doors over from the elevator. No, no, no. I don't need your room. I I have my own room. I use that one. You weren't wrong. Yeah, I mean, it happens. It happens. I mean, there's a lot of money flashing around. Like, who? There's so much money in football. It's, yes, it's a fun game. But, again, there's literally hundreds of millions of dollars, even just in the players. So, yes, you want to know what's going on. It wouldn't surprise me. I would do it. I bugged this room. There's already microphones in here. You don't. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought you guys. We're speaking into it. I wasn't sure if you guys could see these. All right. What do we got next? Last one. The Giants beat the Dolphins in what may be Eli Manning's final home game, even though it was against the Dolphins. He got his career record back to 500 and received a huge ovation from the home crowd. Hawk, don't sigh at this. Joe wanted to talk about this. Joe, am I tripping? Or was this a really touching moment for Eli Manning and the New York Giants? Giants. How do the Giants keep sneaking into the rundown (laughs) every week with this guy? Giants fan. If you think Uh, we talk too much about the Browns. There's people who have tuned in and said, this is the Giants podcast. Clearly, <laughs> they're, uh, they're a topic every week at 2 and 10. 
This right. this was a touching moment for me. I'll keep it short, Hawk. Okay, thank you. In that, I I remember when I ran off the field for my last time, and I just torn my tricep, and I know going into that game that I was already starting to think about like how bad my knee was and how I was struggling to try, try to go out and perform on Sundays, even though I did. I didn't even stand during the week because my knee was so bad. I was trying to save it for Sundays. And I wow. didn't think I was going to get through that season because the knee was just in such a bad place. And so when I did tra- tear my tricep, it was almost like a relief. Like, oh, I can finally rest my knee. And the thought did go in my head right away. Like, maybe this is the last time I run off the field. And so it was emotional right away. And so watching Eli run off, get that win, get to 500, see the fans give him the ovation and then to me the touching part was when his family was in the tunnel because he's had a tremendous career he's had a hall of fame career um winning the super bowls for the giants and he was one of the great professionals in our game in a a a game that i think is missing classy professional players and Mm. so i've always had a little soft spot for eli uh of course there's things that people don't like about him and I would always criticize him for not being enough of a leader. But when it comes to being classy and professional and doing things the right way, I've always had a lot of respect for Eli Manning. So for him to get yeah. sent out like that was cool. That was cool. And I'm, a, I'm an Eli fan too. He, he was the younger brother of a legend that had to be tough. And, you know, as, as a younger brother of someone who was better than me at football, I get, <laughs> I felt his life. I identified with him, you know, I just don't want to talk about him every week on the Tomahawk show, John. Okay. Last time until next week. <laughs> you better put him in. Weather, um, Eli, Danny <laughs> Dimes, and is Saquon Barkley the next Jim Brown? Next on the Tomahawk Show. <laughs> All right, let's do some run pass option, baby. Run it or pass it. Run it. Run, run, run pass option. In this segment, we got producer John teeing up the topics, and he gives me and Joe the option to either run it or pass it. We would run it meaning we will talk about it or we will pass it because ultimately, John, you care so much. No, <laughs> we don't care, a.k.a. the New York Giant rule. Tee us up, Johnny. What do you got? Eagles complete <laughs> comeback in Washington. Hawk, run it or pass it? Um, Run it. All right, so the Eagles, one of the most talented teams in the league coming into the season. I even picked them to go to the Super Bowl on some of the places that asked me to predict. You know, I do that different teams everywhere so that I could always say that I was right. Um, I'm not going to be right with the Eagles because they're not any good. Yes, they have, they have in, they've had injuries. I can't talk. Um, a lot going on in my life. But they've also been playing bad. Carson Wentz is not playing good. And it shouldn't have been a game against the Washington Redskins, but it was. Urban Meyer was on his official visit to the Washington Redskins. He was in the press box. <laughs> so one. I think they, I feel like Urban Meyer committed today, and he will be the new head coach of the Redskins. That went a lot of places. My mind's going a lot of places. It's one of those Sundays. Thank you. Nailed it. Beat the buzzer. Joe. Eagles, Washington, runner to pass it. Hawk, that, that was great. You made me laugh at the Urban Meyer thing. <laughs> I'm going to pass. But the only thing I am going to say is, how many more times is Urban Meyer going to say, oh, I have health problems. I can't coach anymore. I want to spend more time with my family, only <laughs> to take like a year off and then come back and get a much more higher paying job somewhere else. Uh, is he the most phony coach of all time in history? <laughs> no, that's a Ben Roth. Next time on the Tomahawk Show. That's the Ben Roethlisberger move where Ben acts like his leg falls off or that he'll never be able to play again or he's not going to finish the game. And then two series later, he comes running back onto the field when they play Renegade. Yeah. And he's like, I'll lead you to a victory, Steelers. But it's even more serious. It would be like if Ben f- faked an injury and they... <laughs> 
put him on IR and cut him. And then he like miraculously came back from the dead and then went to the, the Patriots and won the Super Bowl. And then he did it again with like the Packers. And then he did it again with like some other team. It's not that he's taking time away and then going back to his other job. He's like going and finding better jobs that pay him more money. <laughs> it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth, especially as a Wisconsin fan who he yeah. thoroughly whopped a few times. But I'm sure there's a lot of Ohio State fans right now that are feeling like, whoa, whoa, this was supposed to be your ultimate favorite job of all time. You were an Ohio guy. You were tremendous at Ohio State. It's not like he left the cupboards bare, but then all of a sudden he's just like, nah, I'm good. I'm out of here. Do you think Urban Meyer would be a successful NFL coach? So the funny thing is, like, to be successful in the NFL, there's so many things that have to line up together to work in order for you to have success. Not only do you have to be a great coach, but you have to have good coordinators. You have to have a good staff. Then you have to have a good quarterback. And if you don't have all of those things, you can't win. But then not only on top of that is it, you ha- kind of have to have a good roster put together. And then you really only have two years to to make sure that you get to that playoff game Otherwise, you get fired. And so it's really hard. So there's plenty of good coaches in the NFL every year that get fired just because it's so cutthroat and so difficult to win consistently in the NFL. I think he could be a good coach because he has Will he be? the qualities. I know he I could think, be. No, no, no. You don't know. Because I'm going to tell you. My son could be a good NFL be. coach. He's no, no. Seven. Your son couldn't because he doesn't have the qualities that a <laughs> uh, good head man. coach have. <laughs> Urban Meyer is he's disciplined. He keeps people accountable. He could probably hire a good staff. I, I don't know if his football IQ is on par with where uh, an NFL offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator need to be, but you don't have to have that. Like John Harbaugh wasn't a wizard with X's and O's on offense and defense, but he had the qualities that it took to be a great leader and a great head coach. And then he brought in assistants that knew the X's and O's of offense and defense. And so um, it'll all thank thank you. You. it'll all <laughs> depend on who he gets for assistant coaches if he can have that success and the quarterback. So will he be a good head coach? You tell me where he's going to go. If it's Washington, <laughs> he won't have success. Here's why I think he won't have success in the NFL. Actually, should I make that declaration? Sure. All right. Well, it's you just said college. he went on his official visit. He did go on his official visit, but it's a lot different than college. Like coaching Joe Thomas, the NFL version, is different than coaching Joe Thomas, the college version. Different how? Coaching Andrew Hawkins, the NFL version, is different than coaching Andrew Hawkins, the college version. To be honest, the NFL, NFL version of Andrew Hawkins, the NFL version of Joe Thomas, they're a-holes. All right? They're not as impressionable. You can't tell them to do anything. You can't piss on their head and tell them it's raining. That's what you can do with college guys. They don't know any better. They don't have a choice but to listen to you. When you get to the NFL, you have a bunch of NFL versions of that of those kids that you have to convince them that do it or I, do it because I said so. That does not work in the NFL. So, it'll be interesting because I feel like that's the Urban Meyer way. Like it's going to be my way or the highway. And like I said, unless you're Bill Belichick, that shit don't work too often in the league. Well, he's a little bit like Nick Saban, right? Nick Saban was terrible in the NFL, though, yeah. because he didn't have the players. He didn't have the quarterback. And I'm, I'm, I don't believe yeah. well, that guess Nick Saban what? failed because the, the players in the NFL make more money than him. I mean, he had plenty of power. When you're I the head coach, that. you have plenty of power. and You can make people listen to you because you, A, know the game, and that's how Kyle Shanahan does it. Like He doesn't force people with being a jerk, but he's just like, look, I'm super smart at football, and I'm going to put you in the best position to succeed, and because of that, you're going to respect me because yeah, that's, that's rare. Though, I make Joe. everybody a lot of money. That's why he's the and centerpiece so of our Saban, drinking game, because that's yeah, rare. Most coaches don't do that. 
I realize that, but I'm saying that Nick Saban knew football, but he didn't succeed because he didn't have a quarterback. Urban Meyer may or may not know football. I'm not sure, but he could still hire offensive and defensive minds that know football that could put those players in great position. And he'll have enough power, especially if he goes to the Redskins, they're probably going to pay him a shitload of money to be the head coach. And so he's going to be making almost as much money as most of those guys. So, and he can tell them it's my way or the highway, even at that level. I'm I just think. saying, man, I mean, right. that you give me, show me Eric Mangini style. Show me the Matt Patricia style. Show me these coaches that have been successful dog cussing and saying that I'm in charge. Deal with it. Show it to me with the exception of Bill Belichick. Give me an example. But in this Bill day Belichick and age, doesn't really dog cuss them. Like, no, he does. The whole day's, the whole day and age of dog cussing your players is kind of over with Vince Lombardi. It died with Vince Lombardi, right? Yeah. Right now, they just try to humiliate you in front of your peers. Like, that's Bill Belichick. He's so dry, but he just makes all the, the players sit in the meeting room, and he puts up film of you screwing up, and he just humiliates you, and he embarrasses you in front of your peers, and that's his way of getting you to play better. That's how Bill Parcells mm-hmm. did it. That's how all the Belichick minions that have gone on and had failures – at various teams in the NFL have done it. And so it's not really about yelling at guys anymore. It's about like motivating them in different ways. Okay. Right, anyways, right. new topic. I'm you bored me, Hawk. All right. I got it. Buccaneers crush <laughs> Lions 38-17. Joe, run it or pass it. I'm gonna run it. The only reason I'm running this is because I got the Buccaneers next week on Saturday <laughs> afternoon football. Jameis Winston. The worst color you've ever heard in your life on the NFL Network. <laughs> yes. If you thought Booger McFarlane and Jason Witten were bad, then tune in on Saturday at 1 o'clock because I'm twice as bad because they beat me for the Monday Night Football job. Uh, anyways, Jameis Winston, first player in NFL history with back-to-back 450-yard passing games. He's really come on towards the end of the season, and he actually right now has a great opportunity to get a nice contract after the season's over. It seems like him and Bruce Arians are meshing much better, and he's doing it without Mike Evans, and he's probably going to be doing it without Chris Godwin in the last couple games of the season, so that will really be a great litmus test for him. Hawk, run it to pass it. Run it. Jameis Winston, um, he is good sometimes, but he's bad most times. <laughs> Um, what a strong take. He you must have gone to broadcast in interceptions since he's been in the Always NFL. Always take a position on everything. He leads the league in fumbles since he's been in the NFL, right? He is a landmine. You don't know what you're going to get with him. You are playing quarterback roulette. He might throw a dime. He might throw a pick six. That is no way to live, man. It's, it's exhilarating. It's fun. It's exciting. He's like that boyfriend you had right out of college, right? But I, I would employ you to say, hey, this is not the guy you want to go to distance with because it's not going to get fun down the line. Boom. Moving on. Packers outlast Bears 21 to 13. Hawk, run it or pass it? Uh, run it. It's my last run. I want to talk about one play and one play only. The last one of the game. They are down eight points. They do the old toss around the football thing that never works. Oh, it works like once dude. every 30 years. Right? Cow Bears. We all remember it. This game, it's going as like, oh, this isn't going to work. And things start matriculating down the field, as the old saying goes. <laughs> and the ball starts moving. And you start looking, and they start throwing it around. And you're like, yo, there's a chance to score. They get it to, I forget the guy's name, maybe a tight end at the 10-yard line. Like Allen Robinson is in position. If he just turns and finishes what everyone else did for him to get the ball, throws it to him, he runs into the end zone. What does he do? He lowers his shoulder and runs upfield and tries to score. <laughs> He has two left knees. 
What are you doing? We didn't draw this play up for you to finish it. It was the most selfish play I've seen in the NFL in years. By the time he decided to pitch it, it was too late. It goes out of bounds. Literally, if he catches it and just throws it out to the side, it's six points. It's the greatest play of the week. It's playing on every highlight in the NFL, and they have a chance to win the football game. Selfish play. Run it. Give me the run. Hawk, I was screaming at my TV when this happened because I see Mitch Trubisky get the ball. And at this point, you can kind of see where everybody is on the field and where all the defenders are kind of doing the uh, the grade school soccer swarm right. around the other guys that now don't have the football anymore. And you look to the right, and there's two guys oh. that, like you mentioned, if he just flips the ball like you do in practice, because everybody practices this play, and it's kind of a, a jerk-around thing at the end of every Friday practice where you usually practice yep. this situation, and you're like, all right, it's never going to work. Uh, <laughs> the receivers always hog the ball, and then they try to throw it to their buddies. They never throw it to the offensive lineman. But this was actually going to work. All you had to do was turn, flip the ball like a rugby flip. He even had a blocker in front oh of the other God. guy, and they, it would have been the greatest Sports Center highlight ever. And what does he do? Like you mentioned, he – Somehow, I don't even know what he did. Maybe he just put like blinders on and didn't see that guy, or maybe he's just that dumb. I mean, just literally ran into the guy, tried to get tackled, and then he just bounced the ball off his foot, and it was over. Like, I don't get it. I, I'm I'm rewatching the play right now. He's right there. Like, what are you doing? It's over. What could possibly be going through your head when you see my teammate and another blocker in front of that teammate? And nobody in front of them except for green grass in an end zone. And instead of pitching it to them, you decide to just run into the guy and get tackled. There is, they've never drawn a play up for you to run with the football in your hands. Okay? There's <laughs> never been an offensive week when they've installed plays for them to say, hey, and in this play, we're going to make sure we get it to you in space. Right? His name is, and I'm sorry to his family because I know they all listen to this show, Jesper Horstead. He is number 49 at tight end. That, that tells you a lot. Right, and I'm not saying he's not a good player. He's a great player. He's he's an NFL football player. He is 6'3", 237 tight end. And again, no one ever draws plays up for a number 49 to be running around with the football. Right, get it and 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 pitch it and go block somebody. That's what number 49s do. They block. They don't run with the rock. That's not. You've never seen a team where they're drawing up plays to get the rock to number 49. That's a special teams guy. That guy is probably a great long snapper. Right. He is probably an up back on the punt team or something, and he is a blocker. Those are what those guys do. How many receptions does he have in a year? Seven. Seven, right? This is a guy who comes in there, and he moves people. He doesn't run footballs into end zones, okay? I'm sorry. All right, next play. Joe, you have one more run left, but I don't feel like you deserve it because of your yeah. many Urban Meyer takes, <laughs> so we're going to skip to dog check. Dog check! There it is. Now that I've belabored all the points, this is good. So anybody listening who's a Browns fan, we tried a new exercise today. We were like, hey, we get depressed when we talk about the Browns when they take their L. So let's put it at the back of the show. Let's try to uh, be upset about everything else that we genuinely don't give that much of a damn about. And then maybe by the time we get to the dog check, you know, our spirits will be a little different, understanding that everybody has their problems. And here we are at the dog check, Joe. So the Browns. I took, a, I took a different perspective on this. I was fully on board with the dog check at the end. But the reason I was on board was because we record this way past my bedtime. And doing dog check first and then the other NFL stuff at the end leaves me wired and it's impossible to go to sleep. <laughs> but if we do dog check at the end, I'm going to be depressed yeah. and I'm going to be looking to crawl up underneath that 
blanket yep. and curl up into my pillow and go to sleep. So, so hopefully you can put me to sleep right now, big boy. There you go, baby. Week 15 dog check sponsored by uh, Melatonin because we're going to get you, we're going to put you all to sleep tonight. All right, so the Browns took an L 38 to 24 to the Arizona Cardinals. We had a Baker revenge game against Cliff Kingsbury was a storyline. We had Baker playing his former roommate, number other number 1 pick and Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray. That was a storyline. Uh the Browns still have had playoff hopes if they went out and this was one of the inferior games that they were supposed to get an easy W with. I think they were favored by two and a half points. And basically their playoff Chances are officially done now. They laid an egg and a lot of frustration. If you watched it on the sideline, we've seen Jarvis get into it with Freddie Kitchens a little bit. We've seen, you know, Odell didn't have a big day. Baker did not play well. I think before that last, you know, garbage time um, touchdown drive, he was at like 150 yards passing for the game, which was not very good. Meanwhile, on the other side, Kenyon Drake looked like the next coming of Walter Payton. Um Kyler Murray is my height, and he was balling. Somehow he sees over the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, Joe, what were your takeaways from the Browns game? I'm just rambling at this point. I don't understand why they don't give Nick Chubb the ball more and earlier. And like, off, yeah. This, this whole game plan going in is, all right, we know the Arizona Cardinals defense stinks. We know they have a bad pass defense, but Nick Chubb is really good. Kareem Hunt is really good. Mm-hmm. And the best thing we can do is to loosen them up a little bit up front and then start taking the shots down the field right. because the one thing Baker has been consistently good at is handing the ball off the play Nick action. Oh, yeah, right. my bad. <laughs> throwing <laughs> RPOs and play action. Like, that's what he does really well. And we know if we just keep handing the ball to Nick Chubb, we can shorten the game and we can win because our defense is really banged up right now. The Cardinals can probably score some points because they've got the run and gun, run and shoot offense. And the best thing we can do is just let Nick Chubb beat the crap out of this defense and wear him out. And then you can hit some shots down the field. Well, Baker wasn't good. They were not sharp in the red zone again. They didn't hand the ball off to Chubb for most of the first half. And then when they finally did, they were already losing by a lot. Um, but it was, it was still, they're like, all right, it's still, you're handing the ball off. And Chubb's got 127 yards again. But he should be getting 30 carries because until right. they figure out their pass offense, they shouldn't do anything but hand it off to Nick Chubb. Yeah. Um, obviously, very disappointing all across the board because you lose your opportunity to make the playoffs, and then you lose your opportunity to, to also bridge a nice four out of five game uh, winning streak with a game here, and then you go and play at home against the Ravens and then finish against the Bengals. So you could really finish – you could have finished the season with – uh, a win here, make it five out of six, and then a win against the Bengals, which would have been six out of seven. And then had you beaten the Ravens, seven out of eight with a win against the Ravens down the stretch, you would have been feeling really good and you would have built a lot of momentum going into the offseason. But instead, you lay an egg in the desert against a team that you should have beat, against a team that has one of the worst defenses in the NFL, and you struggle to score, and you look bad, and you look sloppy, and all the places that you've struggled with during the season, which is special situations, Mm -hmm. which is the red zone and which is deciding how to run the football early on in the game. So more of the same, more disappointment. I don't know why they, and I get that Arizona Cardinals have a bad pass defense, but we have a bad pass offense. So I mean, I don't, that's not even let's, let's not try to act like we have something that, that we don't right hand the ball to Nick Chubb get Kareem Hunt and our best pass offense is when we're throwing the ball to Kareem Hunt short passes get it out of your hands get you down the field like we got to do more of that man because 
I don't know, dude. This is it's it's disheartening to see because there's so much talent. There's no excuses. Like I don't care what anybody says. Like there's no there's no excuse, and I think a lot of people were getting fed up with it. Um, just a bad execution, bad effort. So early in the season, we picked what the what we thought the Browns would do for the remainder of the season, and I want to say I'm almost perfect. Like I don't know if I've I've missed yet because they're what I actually yeah I had to have because if they beat the Bengals and lose to the Ravens, they're going to finish seven and nine. And I think I I think I finaled the eight and eight because I think I might have just fl- I might have flipped the Cardinals last second just to be like oh, okay whatever I don't want people to get mad at me let me flip the Cardinals to an eight and eight but they're about where I thought they would be and if they, if this team finishes seven and nine it's a huge disappointment because we finished seven and nine and we weren't that good Joe in twenty fourteen we were okay but we, we weren't certainly as, didn't have the receivers yeah we didn't have this forty does. million dollars in the receiver room right we didn't have you know two running backs who were going two rushing title winning running backs who were under the age of 25. We didn't have that. We didn't have a first overall quarterback. When you say it like that, it sounds really bad. Doesn't it sound bad? Think about this. Seriously. And it's not the – again, I don't think it's a play. I think they're still talented. But we have a quarterback who is number one first overall We know pick. they're talented. They've had amazing success at other places. Number one overall And Nick pick. Chubb has had amazing success in Cleveland. Yes. So in Cleveland, we have a quarterback first overall pick. We have two running backs who are going to win NFL rushing titles under the age of 25. We have two receivers, I think, under the age of 27 who were the two fastest players to whatever the receptions and yardage is. And they had the literal best two starts of any wide receivers in NFL history. On well, let's one just team. keep it like this. Jarvis, one of the greatest slot receivers, inside receivers in NFL history. And he's not just an inside receiver, though, because he's also like – he plays everywhere, but I get what you're saying. Go ahead. Odell, one of the great, potentially greatest, if he has a, a long career, the way his short career, the beginning of his career has gone. Mm-hmm. Potentially one of the greatest deep threat X type receivers in NFL history. So you got to think, we're going to have great success. Yeah. Like these guys are great at what they do. It's also weird that uh, <laughs> all the conversation is how Odell, you know, we're not able to get the most out of Odell. Odell's going to have over 1,000 yards. He's going to finish with like 1,100 yards yeah. on the season. But we're still like, oh, man, he has not played well this year. That's a lot of production, man. Like, especially when we have two number one wideouts. What is the problem? We're bouncing around. How do we we're get? We're bouncing around a little bit. But I, I just yeah, want to say why I'm especially depressed, and it's going to be easy to sleep without the melatonin tonight. All right. The Arizona Cardinals were on a, count them, six-game losing streak. They had three wins coming into this game. Their mm-hmm. three wins were versus the Giants, poop. Falcons, poop. <laughs> Bengals, poop. And we just lost to them. Yeah. Well, what is that? Does that by association? So make- maybe we're poop. What do you guys make of Odell Beckham reportedly wanting to be traded after every game? <laughs> <laughs> after every game. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. I don't know what to make about it. Because the report was this week that he went to Baker, cleared the air, but then Jay Glazer reported again that he still wants to be traded after today's game. Well, he wants to be friends when he goes to a new team. You don't want any bad blood. <laughs> <laughs> still want a jersey swap with you after the game. Let's not be ridiculous. No, there was a, there was a shot of him and Baker at the end of this game sitting beside each other and just talking. So that was like pretty cool to see. I don't know what the the I don't know what the relationship is like. Obviously, I'm not in Cleveland. Uh, but seeing that, that was encouraging. And there was also a shot of Odell and Jarvis on the sideline just 
looking for answers. There was Jarvis getting in with Freddie Kitchens. What did you think about that, Joe, when Jarvis got into it with Freddie Kitchens on the sideline? So when I'm thinking about, okay, Jarvis and Odell are clearly frustrated. Obviously the losing, yeah, but the fact that there is so much talent on this offense and the offense has not been as good as they should be. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm the receiver, who are the people I'm going to blame for that? Okay, potentials are the quarterback and the guy that's calling the plays. Like those are the only two people that you have to be thinking they're they're probably the most frustrated with, right? I mean, right. who else could they be frustrated with, right? So it seemed like Baker had a great relationship with them going into the season. And so that tells me they would be slow to place the blame and the frustration on him. So I'm thinking that the frustration has to be on the head coach who's calling the plays. And that's why you saw what you saw with Jarvis and Freddie at the end of the game. And um, it seems like Baker is trying to find answers. And that's why he would be talking to Odell and saying, like, how do we make this right? What do we have yeah. to do? Um, but I think that they still have probably a good relationship. But it speaks to what he thinks about Baker if he continues to go out and tell people he wants to get traded. Because Jake Glazer is a pretty reliable reporter. And so for him to report that a couple weeks in a row says that it's actually happening. So to me, I think what it is is Baker and um, Odell are good friends. And so Odell doesn't want to hurt that, but he also realizes, like, I want to have a great Hall of Fame career and be a legend, like he talks about, be iconic. Mm -hmm. And in order for that to happen, I need to have a quarterback that I feel that I have trust that can get me the ball a ton and that we can have a great offense in. And it seems like, based on how he's voting with his feet and telling everybody he wants to leave – that he doesn't think that Baker's that guy right now. And he and obviously, he either doesn't want to wait and see Baker turn things around and become that guy, or he just doesn't think Baker can ever become that guy. I don't know. But that's what I garner by looking at the tea leaves and all these things put it together with uh, Odell and Jarvis, and Jarvis specifically in his frustration with Freddie, and then the way Odell and Baker have been having these conversations, and then hearing behind the scenes that Odell – actually wants to be traded and wants to go somewhere else. And I think Odell's been a, a consummate professional in Cleveland. He's been he's been great. I mean, other than the uh, the shoe and watch silly, Which is so which stupid. As an offensive lineman, I think is silly. Oh, and the, the face mask thing. But that's kind of who Dell is. Oh, Odell yeah, that's, is. that's nothing out of the norm. What you get when you get the brand Odell Beckham. And it's in the end, it's not a big deal. Um, it just makes a curmudgeon offensive lineman like me think, why can't we just focus on football? Right. But in the end, I mean, that's who Odell is, and it's really not a big deal. And you just got to know that that's part of the package. Uh, and as a head coach, you get it. Like, I mean, think Bill about Parcells. how small that is, though. Like in ten years, when you yeah, look but, back and you say, "Remember, he wore a, a watch in the game," or you say, "Remember, he had a reflective uh, visor on," or you say, "Remember, he had the wrong color cleats on." It's going to sound so dumb. Like well, when saying. he goes somewhere I, I else and he stupid. continues to his Hall of Fame career, like the fact that that was a big deal here and that's like the worst thing he's done, it's going to sound so dumb because in the media he's had so many opportunities to say stupid stuff, stupid things, and where other people have, he has. No, he's been awesome. He's really he's been a consummate professional. Right, exactly, and it's like I don't know, man. He doesn't. He never blames anybody for anything, which is amazing. No, he's me. been awesome because that's like indicative of like, you know. Where your mind is at. When things go wrong, yeah. are you the kind of person to be like, oh, it's this person's fault? Well, they need to do this. And this person, and we've seen people do that. And that's, again, that's the loser's mentality. That's what losers do. 
you fix it, right? If you're the leader, which is like, that's why I say Jarvis is the leader of the team because Jarvis is another guy who cares so much, man, and he always puts it on his back. He doesn't say when things are wrong, it's everyone else's fault. He's mad he can't get to that extra level to fill the gap and fill the void of whatever this team is missing. No, I agree. I think he's been a consummate professional. Both those guys have been awesome. The maturity that we've seen with Odell this year has been phenomenal. He has, in my opinion, if he does get traded, extremely boosted his trade value because right. you didn't see any of those issues <laughs> right. that were popping up in New York. Yep. I mean, you didn't. I mean, he is having one of the worst seasons of his career mm -hmm. on a team that has vastly uh, fell short of expectations. And he's been nothing but a great soldier. I mean, going over to the bench and still giving great effort, not complaining mm -hmm. to the media, not making a big scene, not humiliating any of his teammates, not calling out his quarterback. I mean, he's been great. There's there's nothing you can say about him that is bad this season. Yep, and playing through a sports hernia. <laughs> to boot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, he's got a, a – he could easily have said at the beginning of the year, no, I'm good. I'm just going to go get surgery, ride it out on IR, and we'll see you guys next year. I got I to gotta take care of me. But no, he was like, no, I want to be out there for my teammates. I want to do everything I can to try to help my team win. And I, I commend him for that because, yeah. as you know, as an NFL player, it's up to you and your agent and your doctor to decide when I have the surgery or if I go out on that field and if I play through this or if, hey, you know what? I got to take care of me. I got to take care of my family. I got to think about me and my future. I'm going to have the surgery and, you know, you guys take care of yourself. But he didn't do that. And, and I got to give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah. So we're, I think we're going on like three hours for this show. My last question will be, um, what should you be looking for? Um, what should fans, players, coaches, and front office be looking for in these last two games in Cleveland? Well, I think, honestly, the, the big question is going to be, what do they do at the coaching position these last couple games? And I'm not sure how they finish these last two games are going to have a big impact on the decision makers on if they decide to bring Freddie back for another year, or if they decide to go in a different direction, because this type of game can have a big impact on those decision makers. Um, because it is a team that is not very good and you should beat them. And then not only did you lose, but you lost in a really bad manner. Mm -hmm. So I would think that this game could have potentially made up their mind. Uh, and so yeah. what do you look for the last couple of games? I don't know. You want to see improvement, but because does that matter? That I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not advocating to keep them or to get rid of them. I'm just saying from right. a fan's perspective, I don't know if there's much to look forward to. Like, what, what do you look for? Like, how do you build on what you saw today? Yeah. What, what can you cheer for as a fan? You're not in the playoffs. So can you say, yeah, let's win the last two. So we have momentum going into the off season, but I don't know if that's going to be enough to save the coach. What was what was the record last year? Seven, eight, and one. So they were seven, eight, and one last year, and they've got an opportunity to get to eight and eight still. So if you get to eight and eight, is that improvement? I don't know. It'll be the <laughs> it'll be the first non uh, losing season probably in a decade. Let's get to the tomahawk catchphrase game. All right, last week was a good one. We had some write-in votes. We had a lot of people hitting us up that we had to tally into the final total, which ended with like an astronaut eating a tomahawk. The stakes couldn't be higher. Play the audio. Big takeaway is the Houston Texans, specifically Deshaun Watson, going into Nashville, getting a big win. Like an astronaut eating a tomahawk. The stakes were never higher, Pat, and they delivered. We got it. 
All right. Can we get the phrase in? Um, Vikings or in the NFC? Vikings or the Rams? Well, Colleen, just like an astronaut eating a tomahawk, the stakes have never been higher in the NFC here. But you know what? It's going to be the Vikings that are going to get that sixth seed. Because all the- just professionals, man. That's great. It's crazy how we, we- are two true professionals. That's all I can say. True blue professionals. Simple and you know who's not a professional? Steve Smith. Because every time I drop that <laughs> tomahawk catchphrase, he would totally lose his mind and he would start laughing like a hyena. And uh, I really had a hard time keeping on track when that happened. He could not keep his cool. All right, listen. We had uh, some submissions this week. Do we have them to, to, to read on the show? Yes. We have a top four here that I think is pretty strong. Okay. We'll vote on these on social. Number one, it's all fun and games till Santa checks the naughty list. That I seen that one, and I was like, I, I, I was going to bring it up. I wanted to see if you guys chose it. I wanted to check your taste. You passed the test. You liked it. Yeah, good job. That's a good one. I like that. Was that was a relief. For a second, I thought you were going to say that was a terrible choice by you guys. It shows me you have no judgment. It's all fun and games till Santa checks the naughty list. It's a good one. <laughs> Number two, don't tell me how rocky the sea is. Just bring me the damn boat. Not as Christmas related, but still a good one. Number three, don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> say that again. Put that in there. Don't it's sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. <laughs> That one, God Hawk, that's a good one. Last one, there are a few reindeer short of a sleigh ride. Any favorites from those four guys before we vote? I like, I like the first sweat. one. It's all fun and games till the Santa checks the naughty list. Yeah, Joe's going to be on national TV, so he. I know he. This get is a that big moment in. for me in my career, so let's try to ruin it no. by coming up with a stupid catchphrase. <laughs> I want don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff <laughs> to win so bad, so Joe has to say it on his good national man. debut of a color commentator on an NFL Here's how it's going to go, Hawk. You ready for it? This is because I'm a true professional. I'm going to get into my radio voice, and I'm going to say, hey, guys, we're here in Tampa, Florida, and, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're already out of the playoffs, but for Tampa Bay and Bruce Arians, don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. (laughs) Don't sweat the petty stuff and don't pet the sweaty stuff. It's still stupid. It's, over to you, Nate. <laughs> over to you, Nate. Finish this up. What was the second be like, what the hell's going on? I'd definitely have to prep him on that one. Yeah. No, I don't prep him, man. Let's let, just let it drop. I want, I want to see how Nate Burleson tries if to I clean it If I prepped him, it would be a two-man booth. My producer would be like, all right, Joe, like, uh, right. you've been reassigned to sideline, but we're not going to go to you at all during the game. <laughs> sideline for the MAC football championship. Um, what, what was the boat one? I thought that was pretty good. Don't tell me how rocky the sea is. Just bring me the damn boat. That's like the other one. I don't know if you can say it on TV, though. The, um, don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the damn baby. Mm. <laughs> can you say that You're on TV? You're a lot of angry letters from women, yeah. including my <laughs> wife, who's had four babies. Yeah, I mean, my, that, that's, I, think we're, I, I think it's a derivative of that saying, which is something you can't say on television. And you shouldn't say it. You know what we definitely need to do is get a compilation of all the finalists and post that on social because that would be great because I need to memorize all these and then use them when I'm with my kids so that (laughs) you know how kids hate their dads always like they think they're so annoying yep uh if I was able to pull these catchphrases out at like my kids basketball games and around my kids friends and stuff I would definitely be that dad that's the biggest nerd (laughs) that everybody hates so I definitely want to do that like right when he's walking away to join his friends for practice hey kid 
Don't sweat the petty stuff. Don't pet the sweaty stuff. Get <laughs> exactly. out there, guy. <laughs> like, Dad, you're so embarrassing. Oh, Don't man. ever come back to my soccer practice. <laughs> all right. So I can't wait to do the full season rip of all yep. of the catchphrases. We still have some video to track down. Um, but, yeah, get on social, at Tomahawk Show. Vote on which one of those catchphrases you like best. And you will see them make a national debut during an NFL football game. This is new heights for the Tomahawk mm. catchphrase game. This might be the one that sends us over the top and get us those gigs it. on the late show that me and Joe are so desperately in need of. Um, Joe, I need you to stroke my ego real quick. Did you see my Lamar Jackson um, skit this week? Huge sketch? idiot? Of course I did. That was hilarious. It was really funny. How was the reception on the social sphere? Because you are the king of digital media. They loved it. They loved it. It was loved- unexpected. I didn't think it was funny. I overwrote for it. So I put like a million jokes in there, as you've seen, because I thought, man, this, I don't know if this is funny. But people loved it. NFL Network people loved it. I got some a lot of love from even outside of that. Uh, so I feel really good about it. I feel really good, and I'm still riding the high. And I'm I, now I'm thinking of my next sketch around Hugh Jettiot. <laughs> I was going to say, this needs to be a reoccurring theme yep. now. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. He's here now. He's here now. I can think of a million brown things to do with Hugh Jettiot. Well, that's the cool thing about Hugh Jettiot is you can take on any stupid thing from the NFL and Hugh Jettiot can be on the case. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's genius. He's actually getting You into, better copyright that thing. He's getting into coaching representation. You can imagine uh, which coaches he'd be signing right now because he, he likes their career trajectory. <laughs> you all the other Hugh Jettiots in there. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Joe, final thoughts. So two quick final thoughts. You were talking about your uh, sphere and your media personality and your rocket to the instant fame. When are we doing Amazing Race together? Because there were some rumors for a while there that CBS was hot on the case with Hugh Jettiot and they were going to hire us to be in the Amazing Race together. When is that happening? We got to make the call. We got to make the call. There's a couple CBS executives that are big fans of the Tomahawk Show. And I know we always say that and we're joking around. That's <laughs> we're actually lying. I mean joking. That's actually <laughs> not a joke. There is a couple CBS high up executives that have reached out a few times to say, like, yo, man, you know, we love the Tomahawk show. Let's get a meeting. But Joe will never leave Wisconsin. So in order to meet with them, he has to come to LA. And in order to come to LA, he needs to be paid. So it's like this crazy catch twenty two that I'm in. So we're gonna do a crowdfunding uh a Kickstarter to get Joe to come to L.A. so he can meet with all the the big ups uh, TV executives so me and Joe can be on The Amazing Race together. Here's a tease. After Saturday, I don't have a lot planned (laughs) for the offseason, but I did have a big network that were finalizing a deal for me being on their show, and I'm really excited about it. Wow. Just a little tease. little tease. tease. Hey, 6 million viewers per night. What? Per night. Per night. That so, is crazy. Joe signing a deal with Pornhub. <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations, bud. I'm going to be the number one the color analyst for guy. The color analyst <laughs> for fansonly.com. Okay. All right. What's your other um, final thought? Final thoughts. Final thoughts is reason number 119 why I love my wife. Uh, 118 was because she doesn't listen to the show, so I can talk crap about her. But in this case, <laughs> I'm going to say why I love her so much is because uh the football career you know nfl players they make good money but this podcast career has just put gold bricks in my bank account (laughs) just day after day but in spite of that we were talking about dinner tonight 
And I was like, do you want me to like Instacart from the grocery store so we can make dinner? Or do you need me to go to Costco today? She goes, no, 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 it's cool. I go to Costco on Mondays because I got a little free time with our daughter, Reese, who's one. And it's great because they have enough free samples there where I can feed her lunch at all the free samples. And then I don't have to go buy her lunch somewhere else. (laughs) And I go, honey, can I kiss you right now? I've never loved you more than in this moment. Because the fact that both of us grew up in households that were, we'll just say, very thrifty. My dad had a car that didn't go in reverse for like seven years. <laughs> and he was driving to the bank every day where he'd have to stick a foot out in Wisconsin in the winter, mind you, and do the Fred Flintstone oh, to go backwards. Man. And Marty apparently Annie's dad was the same way. And so it has rubbed off on us. And she's taking my daughter to Costco on Mondays because that. that's the day where she can get the most free samples and doesn't have to buy her lunch. If so, this, Annie, I love you. If this is our other podcast, Needing Dough, uh, with Chase. I would have asked you, what is your broke habit still? And that would be your answer, that my <laughs> wife <laughs> my goes habit. to get free samples to feed my daughter for lunch so we don't have to pay for it. <laughs> but the funny thing is the Costco membership is like 100 bucks, so it kind of like it equals, equals out. It out. So if you're super poor and you're looking for free ways to feed your kids, don't buy a Costco membership because it doesn't equal out. It doesn't equal out. All right, that does it for the Tomahawk Show. Joe, take us out. Jock yourself. <laughs> <laughs>